Good morning. I have no idea if Ruby will be okay with this, but Ruby, will you just stand up real quick? All right, this is Ruby Sullivan. If you notice the artwork on the board over there and were mesmerized by it like I was, that is the work of Ruby Sullivan. All right, give her a hand. She, and that's not the first artwork I've seen her do. She is incredibly talented, and she spent like two and a half, three hours on that, and then had to go and do homework after. So, Ruby, thank you for being an example of what it means to give of your time and your talents and your resources to, to make families happy. Because if it's anything like my wife, like, she's ready to have family pictures back there, and, and we love it. So, thank you. All right, we appreciate it, right? Um, man, we're kicking off the Advent series, right, anticipating Christ's birth, anticipating Christmas. When I think of anticipation, I immediately think back to my 13-year-old year when uh, I had made the All-Star team at uh, Babe, Ruth, Babe Ruth Baseball, right, 13-year-old All-Star team. And I'll never forget, I went home after our first practice, and I told my dad, I said, Dad, we're going to go to the World Series. We're going to make it to the World Series. Now, I'll never forget the response my dad gave me. But before I tell you his response, let me give you a little background to the year before when I was on the 12-year-old All-Star team in a Pony League baseball league. Um, I made the All-Star team, but... I don't know if you could really call us an all-star team. Uh, I vividly remember a tournament that we played. We got there in Indiana, and, and the team we were playing, about an hour before the game, we show up at the field, and the other team's in the batting cages, taking batting practice, doing drills, stretching. My team was on the playground pretending mulch was lava, right? Uh, that was our team. And our team got beat by, I kid you not, I'm not making this up. Every game we played, it was like pool play tournament, so we had several games. We got beat by more than 15 runs every game. So we came home with the trophy, but we came home with a three-foot-tall sportsmanship trophy because after every game we got beat by 15 runs, like we're going through the line high-fiving, like we're not upset, and we're going right back to the playground playing some more. Uh, so they gave us the sportsmanship trophy. So I have a history of, like, just not winning and, and not even coming close to winning. So when I came home and told my dad, we're going to the World Series, he laughed, right? He was like, what are you, no, right? But the thing is, that team that I was on that 13-year-old year, uh, of, the, of the 15 players on the roster, 13 of them played in a league the year before for South Lexington Little League, which the year before was one game away from the World Series. So for them, and we had practice, and most of those players are the, the players from that league, uh, they expected to make it to the World Series. I just anticipated it, right? I just hoped for it because nothing in my life experience suggested that I should make it there, but they expected it. And I think that's something to think about as we look in our passage today when we talk about anticipating Christ, the expectation versus anticipation. So let's take a look at our passage for today. It's in Isaiah 64, verses 1 through 9, right? And this is how it reads. It says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. As when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continued to sin against them, you were angry. How then can we be saved? All of us 
have become like the one who is unclean. And all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf. And like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us. And you have given us over to our sins. Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Oh, look on us, we pray, for we are all your people. All right, let's pray. Father God, we just pray as we anticipate celebrating the birth of Christ who came to save us from our sins. God, we just pray for the message you have for us today. God, I pray that you would just use me, that you would speak through me. And we just pray for us as a church that we would lay hold of what you have for us to know that your gospel can transform us. God, we just thank you for the time you've given us this morning. We lift everything to your name. Amen. Well, God does some pretty awesome stuff when he comes. We see that right away, right? When we look in verse 1 through 3, we see this idea of, oh, that the mountains would tremble, right? It's your arrival. Uh, if we look at verse 1 through 3 up here, we, there we go. All right. If we look at verse 3, um, we see the prophet Isaiah says, For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, there's a history of God already doing awesome things that they've already witnessed, that they know about, that they've been told, right? Parting the Red Sea so that the people coming out of uh, Egypt can be free, right? Uh, we've seen God come down and fire and smoke on the mountains. We've seen God, and they have heard God do these things. There's a resume that God already has of doing awesome things, even when it's not expected. And maybe that's why in verse 1, right off the bat... The prophet starts out saying, oh, that you would come down. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens. When it says we, that you would rend the heavens, rend means to tear apart. And I love this image because I think of like, let's say my house is burning down, right? And the firefighter's coming. I don't think I want the firefighter to just, you know, just walk up to the door and just open the door. <laughs> I want my firefighter like coming in. Blazing, kicking the door open, carrying the accident, like just busting through. Because when we get the idea of the heavens tearing apart, there's an urgency here. There's an urgency. There's power. God's not just knocking on the door. <laughs> hey, let me in. <laughs> Tear open the heavens. Tear it open. And when he says, oh, that he would. Is he hoping for it? Is he wanting it? Is he needing God to tear open the heavens? And then when we look at verse 2, when God does come, he does some amazing things, right? That a twigs, right? Just as fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, who would have thought that something so simple could go through such a radical transformation? A twig. A twig that can set ablaze water, that can boil. Something so simple can go through a radical change. A couple weeks ago, over Thanksgiving break, I finally got around to taking care of the yard outside, right? Just kind of cleaned up the yard. And I noticed down by the creek, I still had my Christmas tree down there from, from last year, right? I thought to myself, man, it's about time I do something with that, right? Um, so my, my idea was I'm going to take this Christmas tree up to my fire pit, and I'm just going to, like, set it in a, you know, it's huge. My fire pit is just a normal-sized fire pit, but I'm going to stick the tree in there, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set it on fire. Um, I really underestimated the power a twig can have, right? Um, I set it on fire, and it's like just an explosion of fireballs just erupted. I mean, that tree just, just lit. And next thing you know, and I've got like a wraparound bench with cushions. So I'm like, oh, man, I'm about to like burn my cushions. So I, don't judge me, okay? Please don't. 
But I grabbed the trunk of the tree and I picked it up, thinking I could just like haul it down to the creek and throw it in the creek. So I picked it up, the world's largest torch. I'm telling you, that thing was ablaze. It started like stinging the eyebrows, right? And so like I put it back down in the fire pit, just hoping for the best, right? Uh, small things that can just cause just an explosion of a transformation. Who would have thought something so innocent could do that, right? But it happens with Jesus, right? Jesus is that agent, right? That cause and effect to turn the ordinary into the extraordinary, right? And with him in the picture, things happen. I love what my wife always says. Just show up and God will show off, right? Big things happen. And these things can happen because our God is relational. They can happen because he's relational. Let's look at the next couple verses here, right? says, since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. I want to take you through just a series of verses so we just understand just how relational, right? These things happen. We know these things because he is the God who relates with us. He's relational. Let me take you through some of these verses, right? First one, we'll start off in Jeremiah 10, 10, right? But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God, the eternal king. He is a living God. Hold on to that. Look at Deuteronomy 4, 35 and 39. You were shown these things so that you might know that the Lord is God. Besides him, there is no other. Acknowledge and take to heart this day that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth below. There is no other. And then we move to Acts and in Acts, Paul is preaching and he's torn around he's visiting these places and he's at a certain place and he noticed all these idols that have been built and constructed right and erected in the town and he starts talking to the people and paul stood up in the meeting of um Areopagus and said people of athens athens i see that in every way you are very religious whereas i walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship i even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown god our god is known you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. He lives among us. And then I'm really struck by this passage in Psalm. We want to talk about a God who is relational to us. And that this is why big things can happen. In Psalm we read, but their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak. Eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Yet our God speaks. Our God walks with us. Our God is relational, and that's why big things can happen. That's why it can happen. I'll never forget a time, one of my friends, named Asa, we worked at a summer camp together, and we were sitting there talking one night, and he was telling me, he said, I remember a time when I was out at some coast, and he was walking out on the, uh, out on the marina, out in the ocean. And it was pitch black, and I just saw the stars. He said, I was just sitting there blown away by the stars and the beauty of it and all that God had made. And he says, I vividly, distinctly remember hearing God tell me, yes, I made these stars, and they're wonderful, but I can't commune with the stars like I can with you. Our God is relational, and that's why things can happen. The problem is, is us who's not relational, <laughs> with God 
And that's where the prophet Isaiah kind of comes to this realization as we now move into the next few verses, right? He says, but when we continued to sin against them, you were angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like a filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf. And like the wind, your, our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sins. Oh, crap. Does this mean, like, God, you're not going to rend the heavens? You're not going to tear apart the heavens and come down anymore? <laughs> I wonder if this is the thought going on in his mind, because we realize, like, whoa, we're pretty far off from the goal. Now, let me hear, I notice the distinction between those and we. When the prophet here says, we continue to sin against those. And those people are the ones that are doing things right. And when we start to think about anticipating something greater than us, when we know we don't deserve it, does our anticipation grow? Does our anticipation just die and we give up? Does our anticipation become more desperate? He knows we realize we don't deserve it. Not only are them doing right, but we are sinning against them, whoever them is. (laughs) With all the thoughts of anticipating awesome works, hoping it will happen anyways, the prophet is coming to terms with just how sinful they are. There's no way. There's no way Jesus would come. But at least when we look at this prophet, and notice how he doesn't stand above them in judgment. I mean, he is the prophet, after all, writing down the visions and the words from God, right? He doesn't stand above them in judgment. He stands with them, longing for redemption, and it's a stretch. So now it's like, who are we to ask Jesus to tear a heaven open and show us his awesomeness? We're just dust. We're just a leaf that shrivels up. And I like how he goes on to say, right, that all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. And so now it's making me wonder, even the people who are doing right, even their righteous acts are like filthy rags. Realizing that we're all messed up. Not only are we standing against them, but even them is messed up. The ones that were doing right, because their righteous acts are just filthy rags as well. When we look at Romans 3.23, right, it says, For all have fallen short. All have sinned. And let's even look in Isaiah, right? Isaiah 41.24. But you are less than nothing. Oh, that's encouraging. <laughs> you're not just nothing. You're less than nothing. <laughs> like, how low can you go? <laughs> and your works are utterly worthless whoever chooses you is detestable oh man and to top it off not only do we realize that we're not relational we see that god is relational we're not relational but on top of that that doesn't really mean anything for god because if we go back to Acts, when Paul was telling about the idols made by human hands versus our god let's look at what he says here God is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life, breath, and everything else. So picture this. God is relational. We are not. And God doesn't even need a relation. We don't do anything. We're not, he's not served by us. He's the one that gives us life and breath and everything else. Come this realization here, right? He hid his face from us because he had to. Holiness cannot mix with unholiness. When you look back at the passage we're in in Isaiah, right, it says he hid his face from us. 
when Jesus was on the cross and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's because God literally forsaken him. God turned and hid his face from Jesus because our sins and the unholiness was cast on Jesus at that moment. God cannot turn his face on us because holiness cannot mix with unholiness. And when it says he gave us over to sins, the Hebrew, literal Hebrew translation is um, we melted away because of our sins. Every time, every time I was uh, working on my sermon, right, and I was looking at that, we melted away because of our sins. Is it bad that I kept thinking of Wizard of Oz? <laughs> right, the witch at the end, I'm melting. <laughs> Here's the thing. You can be melted away because of your sins, or you can be a twig set ablaze. How do we get to that? Because while we look at the fact that he's relational, we are not. It's pretty messed up. We have to be reminded that awesome things happen when we don't expect it. It's like Isaiah said in the beginning of the passage. Awesome things happen when we don't expect it. So let's look in the last couple verses here. Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Oh, look on us, we pray, for we are all your people. When he accepts their position, their human lowly status, he accepts that, but he's also expressing the hope back in verse 1. We kind of go through this conflicted like battle in our mind. I feel like I do this like with sin, right? Right, with sin, it's like, uh, I know this will anger God, but, you know, he'll forgive me anyways, right? So we go on and do it, and it's like, oh, why did I do that? Gosh, oh, God, forgive me. Oh, he's forgiving me. It's like this is back and forth, right? I see this in Isaiah, right? Like, oh, that you would tear the heavens open and come down. Oh, that you would, you know, make the mountains tremble. Oh, that you would do that. Oh, but wait a minute. We're kind of screwed up people. Yeah. Crap. But now we're back to hope again. And this plea for God, this recognition that, wait a minute, God, you're the potter and we're the clay. That means you can mold us. It means you can make us something. And so now we're back to that anticipation, right? We're, we're back to, and if you look here, one thing that, that I kind of chuckle at is when he says, uh, do not be angry beyond measure. <laughs> because it's kind of like he accepts that, all right, God, you should be angry at us. Just don't be angry beyond measure. <laughs> don't be too angry. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like disciplining your kids, you know, like if, if you spank or something. Kids, don't spank me, just give me time out. <laughs> don't make it beyond measure. Be angry, I understand. Like we have every reason for you to be angry. I get it, just not beyond measure. But awesome things happen when we don't expect it. He's expecting some kind of anger. But God didn't send anger as his final solution. He didn't send anger as his final solution. He sent his son as the final solution. We don't expect that. Nothing about that story makes sense. There's nothing that makes sense about that. And so I love that because Isaiah's like, look on us, right? He's spilling out how messed up we are. He's spilling that out, right? We are nothing, but look on us, we pray. It's the only chance we have. The only chance we have is to beg God to look on us. And he didn't send anger. He sent his son he can transform us. And what I love about this is in the beginning of the passage, when he's begging God to tear open the heavens because he makes the mountains tremble. 
and he makes the mountains shake. That doesn't even compare to the power and the unexpected power of transforming his people. Because mountains shaking to us is pretty significant. You can see a visual effect. You see the mountain shake like, dang, that's pretty powerful. That's crazy. But why do we underestimate the unexpected power of God making us whole? Because that's way more unexpected, in my opinion, than mountains trembling. That we are that messed up that God will still look on us. It doesn't even compare, right? The power of God in heaven, the weakness of man down here, and that he comes down to us, that's the miracle. That's where the magic happened. Not the mountain shaking. Not the mountain shaking. If we're to anticipate Christ's birth, we're to anticipate Christ's coming, that's the same thing as saying to anticipate a transformation in your life. Stop deceiving yourself into thinking that you're not good enough. I hate the argument of people are like, oh, I want to go to church, but I'm just, I got to get my life together. You know how dumb that statement is? That's like saying you're going to go, it's like saying if I get muddy outside and I come to the house, right, my wife says, no, don't come in this house till you take a shower. <laughs> yeah, but shower's inside. <laughs> like, that's, that's how, oh, I'm not good enough. For, what? So it makes sense. Stop deceiving yourself thinking you're not good enough and stop deceiving yourself to think that you are good enough. <laughs> because even in the passage, it said your righteous acts are like filthy rags. <laughs> you're not good enough either, <laughs> right? Stop deceiving yourself because God did tear open the heavens. Isaiah pleaded for God to tear open the heavens, and he did. He tore it open, but he did it in a way we didn't expect it. He did it in the form of a son born in a manger, and he did it telling the shepherds, <laughs> Of all people, the low people. The Messiah has come. His power in unexpected ways. So he did tear open the heavens to send Jesus to earth. And he took it a step further. He had Jesus tear open the grave so that you could be sent to heaven. He tore open the heavens to send Jesus to earth so that he could tear open the grave to send you to heaven. That's the anticipation we're looking for. That's it right there, right? Isaiah continued to have hope. Throughout his coming to terms with himself, he continued to have hope. What are you hopeful for as you anticipate Christ's birth, as you anticipate Christmas coming? What are you hopeful for? How will you let the gospel transform you? What in your life needs transforming? Don't underestimate it. Because we already saw as fire sets twigs ablaze and as fire boils water. Do you want to just be a twig and just still water? Or do you want to be set ablaze and boiling with power and transformation? But that only happens through contact, right? A twig doesn't set ablaze by itself. It needs an agent to cause that fire. How will you encounter the gospel? How will you encounter Christ? How will you come to terms with who you are so that you can let him in and have contact with him and that even a small little twig, the twig in your life, the nothing, the meaningless, can become something that people even notice? Be that Christmas tree torch. 
anticipate the transformation, but encounter the gospel. And if you have not taken Christ as your Lord and Savior, man, think on that. Think on that. And if you have and you're still waiting for that transformation, come in contact with him, encounter him, walk with him. The band comes up. We're just going to pray for that transformation. We don't need to wait for Christmas Day. <laughs> All right? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the words in Isaiah. We thank you for the reminder that we're just a leaf that can be shriveled up, that our sins can sweep us away, that our righteous acts are filthy rags. Thank you for reminding us of who we are because it makes who you are that much better. God, we pray for the church that as each life, all right, one life at a time, as they are transformed, that as a church that we can transform the community, that can transform the world. Do we not believe, God? We do. We believe that when you come, into our lives, that magic happens, that power happens, that mountains trembling is nothing compared to the power of saving us from the depths of hell, saving us to the riches of heaven. So God, thank you for the word in Isaiah, God. Thank you for sending your son to be born in a manger, to be human and live a perfect life, to die on a cross, that we don't have to be sent to the grave we have that eternal life with you. God, I pray for anyone in this room wrestling with that, God, that you would just speak into them, that you would lay your spirit on them. And God, we just continue to pray for the mission of the church to love God, love people, and love community. In Jesus' name, amen.